If you want to support this podcast and get a full ad-free episode, sign up to Headstuff Plus. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hello, I'm Joe Rooney. I'm Patrick McDonald. And we are Talking Ted. In this episode, we will be watching Grant Unto Him Eternal Rest. And we'll be chatting to Ardla Hanlon. And uh, there's a talk with Frank Kelly that I recorded on my podcast, Potter Rooney, a few years ago. And yeah, that was really good to talk to him. You know, when I was growing up, and I'm sure for you as well, he was on TV a lot. He was like, of the one person that was on Father Ted, for me, I was amazed that I was working with Frank Kelly. I have a picture of me with my hair tied up like he his character in um, Hall's Pretoria Weekly. And I was only about three or four. Yes. I was obsessed with Frank Kelly at that age. Yeah, for anyone that's not from Ireland, that, that was kind of a, a satirical political show that was on RTE during the 70s. It was in the 70s, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was absolutely brilliant. And Frank was a legend. And I got to work with him only about a year before he died. In Mall at the Gaiety. A John B. Keane play. John B. Keane play Mall. Featuring, I played a priest and he was a, a bishop. Wow. Hmm. Let's have a look at the episode now. So uh, there we did the opening there with Father Jack shouting feck arse girls. Which is, I loved it. I loved him shouting that. I'm sure he felt He was frustrated. Frustrated. Because he didn't get to say much. And I know uh, in the episode I was in, he mm. did have a little speech and he loved that. He reveled in that. Yeah. That he could, you know, they lie in wait like wolves. And he loved that. That was a big deal for him. So it was frustrating for it. Was he classically trained? Well, he came from the Well, he did, he did the Abbey. He's an Abbey actor. Abbey actor. That yeah. he, yeah, absolutely. It must have killed him every week to see people like Jim Norton coming in and having lots of lines and he just said, but it was brilliant. But he's brilliant at it. Yeah, he's always, oh, transformation was unbelievable because you're talking to him, he's very erudite and... Yeah, I did a play with him and he, he'd like be doing the uh, the crosshair uh, uh, on the Irish Times, you know, the really tough oh, yeah. uh, crossword. And he'd be doing that, like, you know, mm. and talking about whatever. You know, but then when he came at the talk, when he did the character, he was brilliant, just hilarious. You know, incredible, very funny. I know that he was very frustrated, also that he worked as a, an actor in the Abbey and also a comedian at the same time to earn money because he had a big family and all that. And that other actors, he felt, I think he felt, looked down on him for doing that. That's right, for yeah. doing comedy. Yeah, yeah. He was a straight man to one of those people like Jack Cruz and one of those. He had mm. loads of stories about that 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 time, you know. Uh, yeah, he, yeah, uh, yeah. Backstage, like you know, he'd be telling me in the Gaiety all about like some time they had he, there was a circus in the Gaiety and the monkey started shitting on the stage and all of that, you know. Really, very funny. But I'd be just trying to remember my lines and just yeah. about to go out to do a bit. But he'd be telling me this story about the monkey shitting everywhere, and uh, I'd be oh fuck, yeah. What am I going to say now? Where are we now? But yeah, yeah. 
so it, it starts off with Dougal uh, speaking to a nun awkwardly. Mm. Nuns aren't women in the Father Ted universe. They're different. They're a step down from women. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. But Dougal's awkward at everybody. Yes. But, you know, I mean, I, 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 mm. I, again, I went to college in Maynooth and there were a couple of nuns there. Very attractive nuns. Were they? I have to say, yeah. I mean, at the time, like, a lot of women really fancy priests. They really, it, there was a cachet to go out with a priest. But some of the nuns, they were forbidden fruit, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So the well, not, not to me, sexual. all women were forbidden fruit. Oh God! Yeah. Well, to yeah. me, completely <laughs> poisonous. But uh, they poisonous. were. No, they weren't poisonous. But like, no, I. Uh, yeah, but like nuns were kind of yeah. Mm. So uh, so anyway. Ted, uh, Ted and Dougal are in the room and they, they see Jack. They think he's dead. Uh, well, I, that's a spoiler. <laughs> because if you watch at the end, he's not dead really. But uh, yeah, I we uh, both went to Frank's funeral uh, a few years back. Frank Kelly, the actor. Frank Kelly, yeah, yeah. I'd worked with him just the year before on Mall. On Mall, and, yeah. yeah and he hadn't been well at that time. I think he might have had Parkinson's. I think it was only after Mall maybe said he had Parkinson's. Mm. We knew he, tr- he had trouble remembering his lines, even though he's brilliant every night. Mm-hmm. He, tr- he struggled with the lines and uh, he wasn't quite uh, his usual self. And uh, yeah. Yeah, and I interviewed him uh, as we will... We, we'll, hear it during this episode uh, quite near to when he died as well and uh, I called out to his house actually in Monkstown and his wife was there and she was Barbara really, Barbara she's really nice and good chat um, but I could see he was frail yeah and then I know I was t- I was telling him I was going off to do a gig somewhere abroad and his eyes lit up and you could see God, he just wanted to get back out there performing. Oh my God, like he was so, he put yeah. you to shame. Like, I mean, I, yeah. like he'd been through, he did cancer, he did all sorts of problems, didn't he? I mean, I, yeah. I he had, his, uh, you know what happened to him? He was off, he was not a man for swimming in the sea, yeah. in the cold water. And uh, he, I think he was in the west of Ireland. He was getting back into the car, out of the car, and he had the door open and the wind caught it and whacked his leg like he had an awful injury on his leg but he was so I mean when I worked with him he was so robust and he just wanted to get out and walk yeah and he had hiking boots on all the time and, that, and he was just so active mm. and proactive as a person he put you to shame like we're you know I, I feel sorry for him I have a, co- a, a comfort threshold a high one or a low one I can't remember yeah you know I wouldn't tend to put myself out there and Oh, I see. In, yeah, uh, walk in the rain or whatever, yeah. like that. Yeah, but he was so like. I mean, he he'd he'd want to go anywhere in the world and walk and do whatever. Yeah, yeah. no fear. Went down in Clare. He was off walking any time. Any yeah. day he had off. Any day he'd off, he'd be out in the burn. We'd like, be avoiding it. And walking six hour walks. Like, yes, exactly. Walks. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> like we were driven to the, you know, driven thirty yards up the road to the yeah. set or whatever. Yeah. But he'd be out walk. He was robust. Very, Built very different. People in those days were. Mm. You know, brought up in hard times and, uh, you know. Yeah, I guess they were, yeah. Robust. They seemed to have bigger hands. As well. My father had much bigger hands than me. <laughs> me like too. Like the shovels. Uh. My father-in-law no, My father was smaller than me, but more robust. Smaller than you. Smaller than me, wow. yeah. My father was taller than me, but he had massive shovel hands. Just mm. big, strong man. Mm. And none of us, and my, my, myself and my brothers are weeds compared to him. But yeah, Frank was like that. And I worked with Des Kyo on the same film. And Des Kyo was in the, the start of the second series. I should probably wait. Or the, the start of the third series. And he's unbelievable. Still is, he's about 85 and he's still working. Yeah. And big hands and uh, just... <laughs> big hands as well. Yeah. 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 And of course, you interviewed Frank for your podcast, Potterooney. Potterooney, yeah. I did. You spoke to him about Father Ted. And uh, yeah, I mean, he, he didn't know who... Uh, 
these young lads like Arthur who, who wrote this thing, he, he wasn't aware of them. And at, I'm sure at first he was a little wary of this. Yeah, he didn't know. It was totally different. Uh, yeah. uh, he had no frame of reference for this sort of humour, I'd say. Yeah. You know, because this these guys were coming out of like a whole, there was a whole movement at the time, but slightly surreal offbeat comedy like, mm. you know, Reeves and Mortimer. The Fast Show, which they had worked on. Yes, and he would not have been he aware of He would not have been that. aware of any of that movement in, in, yeah. in, in comedy, certainly, yeah. He Word. wouldn't have a clue who, Ard, who Ardle was. He no. would have known who Dermot Morgan was. Yeah, he would have. But Dermot Morgan would have been a young upstart to him. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, yeah. yeah. I, I think I spoke about this earlier, but like Frank Kelly was a hero of mine when I was a kid because I loved... When I was only about three or four, I would have watched Hall's yeah. Pictorial Weekly. And we were allowed to stay up late. That was the only night we were allowed to stay up past half eight or whatever right. and watch it. And I knew every minister in the cabinet at the time. Yeah. Because Hall's Pictorial Weekly was the only satirical show we had in Ireland. And uh, the, my mother allowed us to watch it because it was during the coalition government, Fine Gael Labour. And they, des- they destroyed yeah. that. All of that that generation. Yeah, they used to have uh, the minister for telegraph minister for poles and lampposts. Yeah, exactly. And Dimples O'Deary, Michael Early, and uh, yeah, uh, Garlic Fitzgorgoyle. I think he played him, uh, <laughs> yeah. Garlic Fitzgerald, the minister yeah. for hardship. And right, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So they really went to town on that coalition government. Yeah, and yeah. I loved them. Uh, so he was an absolute hero. And me too. Yeah, quite unbelievable. If I was when, as a young child, if I thought I was actually going to act with that that fella, yeah, it, it, it wouldn't have believed it. Unbelievable. No, yeah. I never thought I'd leave Dramiskin, like where mm. I grew up. I thought it, you know, I don't know what I'd, I thought it might have been a postman or something. Mm. Maybe there's probably young fellas now who who dream of acting with you, Patrick. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not going to happen because I don't get many gigs acting. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe they do. Yeah, I know people have worked at me. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I worked. I, I don't. I appeared really, in that's a, yeah, true. I, I, mean, I did a little scene with the uh, young offenders, and I said, "Do you mind, real lads, if I get my picture?" And they were saying, "Like it's mad that I'm saying that to them because right. they grew up mm. like thinking, you oh, your man off Adder Ted and whatever else.' Yeah, mm. uh, there's a Dougal pretending he's Father Jack, very good from Ardle. Yeah, that's a. <laughs> do something non, non doogle. Non doogle, yeah. So the other thing is, uh, they wake Jack in this episode. I think I don't think English people have wakes. Have wakes like mm. we have wakes. Mm. Like our family wakes were raucous. Yeah, and uh, you know a lot uh, of feed, bit of drinking, lot of drinking yeah. and singing. Yeah. And joking and laughing. And people would be confused if they came in. Like, people have come to Wakes and they're like, really, oh, it's someone's dead and they're really dead. And they can't believe everyone in the room is laughing. Yeah. And having the crack. Uh, that remember we, uh, the person who's dead. I just remember being really hung over at my parents' funerals. What it was really bad. Both of them? Both of them, yeah. Wow. Uh, I wasn't hung over at my mother's funeral. You were 11. I was 11, yeah. But, but uh, yeah. at my father's, I was, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they don't celebrate. There meant not many people go to funerals in, uh, you know, in in Britain. I, I think, I, or every anywhere in the world. And I uh, it's like very it's a weird. big thing. Oh, like, it was a big funeral. That was a big funeral. Hey, oh, not a seat to be had. No, exactly. Yeah, yeah. as we did, we did a sketch. Yeah, that. yeah. But yeah. a lot of strangers. Yeah. You know, yeah. Even my when my parents died, my brother's a teacher in Monaghan, mm. and like all the parents from the school in Monaghan would come yeah. to the church. In, in Louth Would they? And yeah And it'd be just jammed And like loads of people and, and, All and friends Any family would come And we'd you just have to stock up on drink And local politicians Local politicians Make sure they were there Yeah absolutely Yeah, yeah. 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 When I was trying to get Planning permission out in me the, 
this Fianna Fáil fella came to look at the site and he, I told him who my father was and he was, oh yeah, I was at the funeral. I don't think he was at the funeral, yeah. but he was pretending he was. Yeah, they'd have lookalikes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she, yeah, Polly McGlynn was brilliant though, though uh, I have to say, as Mrs. Doyle, what a great... Like the uh, the parish priest housekeeper is a character, isn't it, in every parish or the woman who looks after the church as well. I know in Kentstown and me there was a yeah. woman who would put the flowers out in the altar. And all yeah, that. but sometimes they were what the same of? job. But uh, mm. uh, what was they called? Sacristy? Well, I can't remember what what sacristy or something. I can't remember what their name sacristy of that job was. Is just Sexton, the, Sexton. It's just the area behind. Can't remember the altar. what it, what their job was. Yeah, but it's so recognisable that woman. <laughs> I think I remember a woman like that in in parish. Weird, yeah, they would have. Yeah, yeah. And there were priest groupies as well. Like they were, they loved the priests, and uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. There were loads of women. I used to go to mass every day when I was what? about eleven or twelve. I'd get up every morning and go to mass. I loved it, like mad for it. And I went what did to you church like twice a w- twice on Sundays, you know, to benediction as well as mass. Yeah, and uh, yeah, there were certain women would go to everyone mm. in stockings and a scarf and cardigans and yeah, old fashioned coats and that. And yeah, they were all dead now. I don't know who goes now. What are those type of women doing now? They're dead. No, but <laughs> what's the modern equivalent? Mrs. Doyle. I don't know. They're on Twitter, probably. Yeah. 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 yeah I, I liked the special masses. Like, I liked Ash Wednesday. I like going around with ashes on my forehead. Uh, oh, know, I love that. Ash yeah. Wednesday. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or, you know, sticking your fung- finger in the uh, ashtray and just doing it, just to pretend. <laughs> and, uh, Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday, and then Easter was great. I was a, an altar boy, so you'd be on every night at Easter. It was brilliant. There was one uh, mass God. where you, the, your throat was blessed. Did you ever, yes, I do. Yeah, yeah. I would yeah. still. Yeah. I I, I uh, stopped taking the host when the hand was introduced. So I still. I mean, if I have to go, I wouldn't know how to do it. Which hand to put up? Would you? Uh, I used to get me tongue. No, I'd rather the tongue. Yeah, that was much easier. I used to hold the plate underneath. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd go around that, and yeah. Uh, and then I never caught one ever. Never felt. Very disappointed <laughs> that I never ever caught. You just loved to have caught it. Yeah, it would be good. And but you told then you you weren't allowed it to let it touch your teeth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know why that there was. was a mad thing. Uh, there was a story went around the Christian Brothers when I was in there that there was once a boy who was just giving communion and he puked up all over the chapel. And the Christian mother ate the puke. Oh! Yeah. Because the host was so holy that you couldn't let it go to waste. You couldn't just sweep it up or let the dog. Yeah. Or whatever. You, you wouldn't let the dog vomit. But you know, yeah. like, uh, yeah, that it was that precious. That you couldn't get sick. That's probably why you couldn't eat before, an hour before. Yeah, in case you got sick. Communion, yeah. We were told a story about a girl who, who wanted to uh, her communion her, her, and she was too young. But she loved Jesus so much. She really wanted to, what would you call it? Have her Holy Communion or whatever. Oh, yeah. And she was too young, but she loved Jesus. But she was at Mass one day and she loved Jesus so much. The host just came out off the priest's hand and floated <laughs> down towards her and into her mouth. We were told that. that wow. It's true. Like. Yeah. But she hadn't made her Holy Communion around. No, no, she hadn't. But Jesus was, uh, Jesus as the host. Yeah. Yeah. My wife was in a hospital when she was a child and, I don't know, five or six and, and the priest came around and said, have you made Holy Communion? And she took it and she t- just I felt so guilty. 
oh. about this that she'd taken when I haven't made her communion. Right, yeah. I'm just really worried about that. <laughs> In those days. <laughs> oh, there's the young Father Jack. Yes. That's amazing. That's yeah. what he really looks like. Because in the first episode, the he's leering at young girls, but there he's screaming hell and whatever yeah. the kids, yeah. Yeah. We did a sketch in The Savage Eye where you've got John Cleary playing the priest, shouting like that, hell and all yeah. this. And then I'm the younger 70s priest say, talking about contraception. Right. You know, when the fellow man puts his thing in the where the lady goes. When the man puts his, where he goes to the toilet into where the lady puts it in the toilet and that. And yeah, and we forgot. And then you look at that, forever looking at sketches or, or scenes in Ted and thinking, oh, geez, that's very like the sketch we did years later. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Must have subconsciously yeah. influenced us. Yeah. Yeah, though, that's uh, interesting. That uh, scene with Jack in the earlier episode, I don't think that would have got no, through the censors now. Not at all, no. We're now going to chat to Ardla Hamlin, who played Father Dougal Maguire. Hi Ardell, listen, thanks a lot for joining us here on the podcast. Oh, listen, no bother. It's just great to be back. Yeah. And we're watching the sixth episode on season one. Um, and just, you know, Frank Kelly was, was, a, was a legend of Irish comedy. And before Father Ted, obviously, you would have watched him on uh, Hall's Pictorial Weekly, yeah? Yeah, I would. Uh, it was one of the few programs we were allowed to watch growing up. I mean, we had a television in our house, but we weren't allowed to watch it very often. Uh, strictly rationed to about an hour a day and um, because you, obviously you could get eye cancer or whatever <laughs> so um, or radiation poisoning was the other big fear mm. but anyway yeah one of the few things we were allowed to watch was Hall's Pictorial Weekly because um, you know it, because it was kind of newsy and politics and kind of educational and Frank was there and Eamon Morrissey as well who turned up in Father Ted oh yeah absolutely uh, so and Eamon and Frank had a great double act um, a few double acts in that in that show and it was really great for its time like I don't know if it stands up now but at the time like we loved it uh, mm. you know it was probably one of the only examples of TV comedy in Ireland back then in the 70s wasn't yeah. it it was genuinely good and oh funny oh yeah. god yeah, yeah. and it very all, yeah even I, I was only about four uh, watching yeah. that and I, it made me interested in politics as well it got, yeah. I got into the whole Garlic Fitzgurgill and yeah. the Minister for Hardship Richie Ruin yeah yeah, yeah. Interestingly, you you come from a Fianna Fáil family. I think. <laughs> Did you have that to bring right? that up? Sorry about that. Mm. Yeah, but you know that that it it was criticised at the time for going really hard on the coalition, the yeah. Fine Gael Labour coalition of that time. Was it very popular with your father? That's probably why we were allowed yeah. to watch it then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Uh, but I remember, like, because he was a very busy man, and uh, he would very rarely sit down and watch TV unless it was the news. But he always made an exception for that as well, and he got a bit of a kick out of it. Um. But yeah, and then Frank was on the radio as well, doing similar stuff later on, only slagging and things like that. So I was always very aware of him as a as a comedy figure in Ireland, and just a great trooper. You know, you'd see him the odd time you'd ever be brought to the theatre or something like that, he'd be in it normally. Yeah. Uh, so you know, he was very familiar with him. So of course, when you end up working with him, you think this is you know you're kind of pinching yourself. This is great, you know, to be part of that continuum in yeah. Irish in Irish entertainment. And is that yeah. the first time you would have met him in person working on Father Ted? I think so, yeah. I'm trying to remember. Um, I'm pretty sure it was, yeah, yeah. It probably was. Now, like Ireland being Ireland, naturally enough, Frank Kelly was at school with my father. <laughs> like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe a year behind or something or two yeah. years behind, but they knew each other like growing up vaguely. 
Oh. Right. Mm-hmm. His father had worked for Dublin Opinion, was it? Or one of those magazines? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Did he, did he draw cartoons? Was that Yeah, his thing? I don't know. Yeah, maybe. It must have paid well then. To yeah, I'm sure Frank told me, but I didn't yeah. take in everything Frank told me. Frank was a great raconteur, <laughs> you know, so like, uh, and because Frank, you know, during Father Ted, like he didn't have an awful lot to do. Now, what he did, he did really well. Uh, and it was great to watch him in action. But... Uh, he had a lot of downtime, you know, particularly during the rehearsal. So he was always and he and he just loved talking like Frank could talk forever. So and if he got you like at a weak moment, you know, <laughs> like if you, you'd be trapped. Now, you know, I'm not saying a lot of what he had to say was very interesting, but, you know, a lot of it would just go over your head like because he just one story after another, mm. one anecdote after another, one song after another. He'd sing to you during the day. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of those Abbey actors are, are into that, right? Yeah. Uh, telling stories yeah. of being on sets or being uh, in plays. Yeah. I was in a play with them before, about a year before he died. I was in Mall in the Gaiety. I normally add of anecdotes and stories about everything I'm in, but he told so many anecdotes. All I, He cornered me the whole time we did it. And lovely man. But he did tell me all these anecdotes and stories yeah. and everything. And Des Coke kind of stayed away and, uh, you know, he was on it. And he would have had lots of interesting yeah. stories, but he tended to be concentrate on the play and rehearsing and whatever <laughs> but but Frank told so many anecdotes I have no anecdotes from yeah. well because that's all I ever heard yeah but when you're, when you're when mm. you're that age you'll be you'll be telling loads of your anecdotes mm. yeah so, but your anecdotes are anecdotes about Frank Kelly telling you anecdotes that's it that's the problem <laughs> yeah but he would be he'd be about to go on stage literally yeah. and trying to remember your lines and trying to be focused and he'd be telling you about some like monkey yeah. who'd been done a show and had shat on the stage and all that <laughs> Want yeah. to, I have to focus yeah, I remember there. that no, monkey. Yeah, no, but he's great, and 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 he is. He was very much part of that generation, and he's very typical of that generation. Like you know, yeah. any little keyword or anything would just trigger a story. Yeah. Uh, he'd also take out the violin. Oh yeah. Drop, no, did he? Drop of a hat, yeah. Particularly, well, you know, when we'd be doing when we'd be on location, he'd always have his mm. violin very handy, mm. very close to hand, and uh, any lull at all, and the violin might come out. But um, no, I remember one time like we were filming. Uh, it must have been the doppelganger episode. Do you remember the doppelganger priests were uh, three priests from Rugged Island? Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So so it was one of those episodes. And uh, I wonder, I wonder, was it the sort of where we, where the lookalike competition? It could have been that one. Anyway, it was outdoors. There was a lot of outdoor filming that day. And the weather was shocking, as it often was down in County Clare, where we were filming. And... Um, so we're all sitting around in these caravans for the day, pretty much, while, 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 you know, waiting for the weather to clear. And there was about 10 elderly priests around. Could have been the all priests five aside or something, maybe either. Anyway, there's loads of priests around. Uh, and of course, they're, they're, they're sharing anecdotes and you're sitting there going and you're just like bamboozled by it. Just the sheer energy of these men, like and the, the sheer store of stories that they have to draw on. Incredible stuff. Yeah. And I remember, Frank, um, he hadn't gone in for a while and they were like, they were name dropping like nobody's business, you know, uh, the very, the very, you know, uh, they were talking about Olivia, working with Olivia on the London stage and everything. So they all had these great experiences. And then Frank hadn't gone in for a while and he, and they were talking about radio plays and he said, when I listened to a radio play, I simultaneously translated it into French and Italian. Jesus <laughs> <laughs> wow, he was a he was a very learned man. He yeah. was he, he he was a qualified lawyer, which mm. I think he did later in life. Uh, he went back to college yeah. and uh, or he or he did an online course or whatever. But um, he he 
he uh I mean, you know, he was an all-rounder. And he liked to go for a fairly long walk, didn't he? Did. he? Uh, Bracing walk, yeah. yeah. Bra- or swam, swim. I think he yeah, swam. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, and cycled, foot. did everything. Cycle. Did he, he say cartoon superstars fit. in the 70s? I think he said he yeah, did. He I'd have to look did, it up. Yeah. But yeah. I do remember he went for a walk and Pauline McGlynn said she'd go with him when we were down there in uh, Clare. And she came back like eight hours later, knackered. Because like, yeah. it wasn't just... It was like an eight-hour yeah. hike. He went. Yeah. No, he was and he'd be talking the whole time. That would be, yeah. you know, you're walking and talking for eight hours. Yeah, yeah, no, extraordinary, extraordinary stamina, hours. you know. And yeah. do you know what he thought of uh, Father Ted at the very beginning? What, what did he think of the writing? I really then? don't know, like, um, ah, I don't know. I mean, you know, he, he'd be offering advice, like, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and he'd be offering Dermot a lot of advice. And I think he, he, you know, there would have been a little bit of rivalry between him and Dermot, given that they were sort of both in that sort of political satire area. Um, to the you know, I, I don't know how well they got on, mm. really, mm. but um, but that was, you know, it was grand. There was never yeah. any any tension or anything. Uh, and Frank used to say himself, because of his makeup, which was pretty hideous, uh, he 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 felt that it repulsed people. <laughs> So that people wouldn't come near him on the days we were filming because he was all <laughs> covered in these sores and uh, yeah. scabs and yeah. stuff, you know. So uh, he felt very lonely during it, I think. But uh, I think as time went on, like like we all did, you know, you begin to appreciate it more and more and more as the public appreciate it more and more. And I mm. think he, I think he felt very lucky, certainly by the end of it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember like the first time you rehearsed with him? Did he have that character straight away? Uh, or was he being directed to? I think he probably he probably came with it. Yeah, no, I think mm. he probably it was probably there. It was probably fairly intact. I mean, mm. you know, they probably liked. I know the writers did like they loved Frank growing up as well. Mm. Like certainly Arthur did anyway, and um, uh, you know they probably had a fair idea what he was going to do. You know what I mean? Like mm. he was cast for a reason. Yeah, yeah. Well, still, although the same, it's very different to him. It's. A, Polar opposite to him it's as polar a person. Opposite. Yeah, because he's a, a very erudite man. And he I think is, that, yeah. and I think actors like I find myself doing that as well, because people think I'm really stupid. So I sometimes in radio interviews start using big words and trying yeah. to be, you know, trying to be more intellectual, you know, so yeah. people wouldn't confuse me with the character. And I think Frank there was an element of that with Frank. So like, you know, he actually mm. spoke quite you know, quite a posh accent. Mm. Uh, you know, he, he was very erudite. He 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 could quote literature and theatre and plays and you know, so mm. and he loved opera and things like that so you know he, he was very uh, cultured cultured man that was a brilliant mm. performance though I mean it's not everyone could do that or, or nail it like that I don't know it, it seems like a one dimensional oh, no, type of character but on. he absolutely nailed it the timing was perfect yeah and uh, he didn't and, hold back and, and the other but, and the key thing and I think particularly with sitcom but you know with all drama and, and film and TV is that he's likeable you know no matter how repulsive a character he is you mm. still oh, <laughs> kind of yeah feel from and there's times like where uh, Ted and Dougal get very sentimental about him you know and, and I think that episode that we're, we're, we were talking about like that's one of them where ah look at him there you know yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's right so how did you feel uh, coming towards the end of this this first season of Father Ted what was how big was it or did you think it was just a cult God, show or were you getting recognised already I, I don't know at the end of the I, first well, of the first season the end of, the of Father Wait, Ted. It wasn't broadcast but when he was filming. What, are you talking about after it was broadcast? Yeah, I, I am. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I just wasn't clear. Listen, YouTube, get your story. Okay. Like, uh, yeah. um, 
let's say when the first season went out then for Patrick's sake yeah. um, well uh, I, I can't really remember I mean it is a very long time ago and a lot has happened in the meantime <laughs> <laughs> uh, I remember, well I, I just remember at the end of it all like we definitely would have felt very good about it it was a good standard I think throughout the first series so yeah. you know we felt that come what may this is grand and we've done a good job Right. so there was definitely that I don't think it took off in a massive way here in Ireland anyway um, I remember the reviews were very unkind at the time like I think there was one exception in the Sunday press uh, and he kind of got it and he liked it was that Eddie Holt or no it was a guy was called Aina Brophy oh okay mm. I remember um and everyone else dismissed it yeah. and said, oh, you know, just like... Paddy Wackery. Paddy Wackery, yeah, exactly, yeah. that kind of thing. And disgracing ourselves, in, you know, in front of the English <laughs> the English audience. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. Um, so it was really the second series where it like, caught, really caught fire, I think, uh-huh. particularly in Ireland. Yeah, well, and when did you get a BAFTA? Was that during the second? I can't remember now, to be honest with you. Um, there was, there was. I'm sure after the first series, we were probably nominated for things in British Comedy Awards. I think I got a, an award for the first series, I think, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I think I did for British TV Comedy Award for Top TV Comedy Newcomer. Yeah. I think that was first series, but because it must have been because I was a newcomer. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh and I think the show was certainly nominated if it, did, it might have even won things at that award. And that was used to be a fairly big do in those days, the British Comedy Awards. So yeah. that would have been 1995. It certainly seemed like it was about the level of, say, the fast show or, you know, the Reeves and Mortimer type, that that sort of niche on yeah. BBC Two or Channel Four. It hadn't taken off into the thing it became yeah. at that stage. Yeah. It was, and that was, but that was really exciting. Like just you mentioned those shows and like they were the shows that I absolutely loved in those days. And to be suddenly, I suppose this was a big, th- big deal for me, was to be suddenly at these do's and events, rubbing shoulders with these people. Like that was just great. You just felt like, you know, oh, my God, we belong in this company. This is this is amazing, you know. And that yeah. was just, mm. that, I, I suppose for me, that was probably the, the the best part of being in a show like that at that time. Yeah, I'd say Frank and Dermot weren't aware of that movement in comedy or probably. Yeah, weren't. and you know, they're, they're, they were at very different stages of the career than I was, like, for oh, example, yeah. you know, so I was kind of, I had just gone to London as a stand-up comedian. I was getting on great. This was what I, all, this is what I wanted, having arsed around in Dublin for 10 years. Yeah. So, you know, uh, it was all going very well. And so I was, you know, very giddy and excited about everything. And I suppose they were at very different stages of the career. For Dermot, like this, this was such a big deal. Like you know, getting recognition in Britain uh, was a, was a big deal. He felt he had been very neglected in Ireland by RTE and Irish TV. Mm. So you know, for him, this was a really big deal. And and I, and I guess he was, he was, um, you know, he was just on a different mission or whatever than I was. Mm. And then for Frank, I don't know. Uh, like, I suppose it was a gig. More it was than a gig, yeah. exactly. Yeah, mm. yeah. He'd seen it all at that stage. And yeah. And were you doing stand up all the way through, like uh, the filming of that first series? Yeah, I was. Yeah, I'd be most nights at rehearsal. I'd be going straight to a gig. Uh, the weekends, I would have been gigging um, little clubs, little clubs around London, mostly. Yeah, 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 definitely. You've uh, done a bit of telly, though. I had seen you on the late, late show before that went out. I think I'd done a tiny bit. Of telly, a tiny like, bit. Yeah, but like if you're obsessed with comedy, like as was I was, and that you know, I'd yeah. been aware of you before. Yeah, but yeah. And then uh, I'd done one TV series in yeah. Ireland called Hamlet and Her Brothers. Oh, yeah, it was a it was a it was a rare sort of a comedy drama. 
uh, written and directed by Ferdia McKenna. Wow. And it was actually not bad. Uh, and, you know, before its time, in the sense that Hamlet was played by a woman and um, I played the Ophelia character, who was, I think, Owen <laughs> was my name. And that's where Arthur will always tell you this, that that's where he first got the idea of me for Dougal. Oh, right. Because of whatever, you know, and I had no idea how to act or anything like that. Um, but it's just you're just doing what you think is the right thing to do. And Arthur saw that and he, he liked the Owen character in that, even though I was only in three or four scenes. Wow. Um, but he thought, oh, there is something, that naivety or whatever that I was bringing to that character, he felt would be useful for Dougal later on. Yeah. You know, it was a good two or three years later, but he remembered it. Thanks for chatting to us again, Ardle. What a, what a man, Ardle. He's, He's a, a mensch. Lovely fella. We're going to take a break here and plug another podcast. So have a listen now. My name is Keen, And I'm James. And we host Sissy That Pod. Sissy That Pod is a fun, informative and comprehensive companion podcast into the world of the queer and colourful cultural behemoth that is RuPaul's Drag Race. Join us every week as we cover the current season of the show, All Star 7, through the eyes of two queer Irish fans. Or scour through our back catalogue wherever you get your podcasts or on headstuffpodcast.com to check out the other seasons we've covered. But for now, start your engine. It's time to crown an ultimate queen. This show is a part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. To support the show... And for bonus content and lots more, you can become a member of Headstuff Plus. Go to headstuffpodcasts.com. And this is an interview I did with Frank Kelly on my podcast, Potterooney, which is also on the Headstuff Podcast Network, if you want to have a listen to that. Um, and I went out to his house out uh, in around the Monkstown, I believe it was, and uh, chatted to him there in his living room. And we play that for you now. Things were very quiet for me for a few months before yeah. the Ted came. I wasn't in work. Yeah. yeah. And I went to that interview and the two guys, Graham and Arthur, were sitting there. And it wasn't very encouraging because Arthur's in kind of drawl mm. and he's a lovely guy. He's become a friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and Graham had this rather shy, diffident way with him. Mm. And me a piece of paper with every expletive that you could ever think of on it. <laughs> and would I shout them, please, you know? Yeah. And I thought, my God, I've done, I've done things, but okay, in the privacy of this room, I can do this. So I did it. Yeah. And they looked at each other for a while, and they talked quietly in the corner. And then eventually they said, "Will you do it?" And I said, "What?" And then yeah. They began to tell me then about Father Jack. Yeah. And uh, I said, "Yeah." See, what people don't realise about Father Jack is that he has a real character. He's yeah. not just a series of shouts. Yeah. He's a real person with an accent. He's yeah. a kind of a leash accent. Yeah. And uh, he, he just, you've got to inhabit the character if you're an actor. And I am an actor and I'm proud of that. Yeah. And uh, he's a success. But he doesn't consist in just sitting down shouting things. Oh, no. I mean, I always thought the, the transformation from you to Father Jack was unbelievable. You wouldn't even believe it was you from looking at it. You, you know? wouldn't really, know. no. No. Not mm. looking at this scrawny person, no. <laughs> no, um... I had a, you know, the Michelin man, the, the ad, yeah, the, yeah. the big figure. Yeah. Uh, that's been 100 years in books. Yeah. Um, they had a suit like that. I had to wear that underneath yeah. the clothes. Oh, yeah. And it zipped up from the crotch to the neck. Mm. Uh, so you were in it, you were trapped in that, and then you get into the suit. Yeah. 
and halfway through the day, of course, you get an urge to go for a pee. Mm. That might be on set. Mm. It's pretty agonising. Mm-hmm. I associate that suit with long periods of agony. Jesus, really. Mm. What did you have? It's just wait, wait. Wait and wait, yeah. 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 And what about makeup? Did that take a while? Cause makeup to took over two hours. It took about two and a quarter hours initially. Yeah. And of course, uh, the makeup artist got it down to about just an hour or something eventually. After a while. Yeah. And they had all sorts of strange miscellaneous objects, materials in the makeup, like porridge and cornflakes. And, uh, and they'd stick them. With, up into my hair, yeah. and uh, then I had um, a dummy eye. I had a false, I had a, a, an opaque contact lens in mm. one eye, which was itchy and troublesome always. Yeah. And uh, so between that and bursting for a pee and the heat of the uniform, yeah. of the outfit, yeah. uh, it was stressful physically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, how did you feel then about the first series, once the first series was done? Once you? I heard the audience reaction to what we had filmed down in County Clare, mm. I was just amazed because mm. they laughed themselves putrid. Mm. And I'm listening to audiences and trying to gauge the reaction all my life, all my working life. Mm. I've never heard anything like that. Mm. My God, tonight I have never heard laughter like it, which is infectious because it drives you on. Yeah. Everybody, but you know well from performing on the stage as a, as a stand-up comic, yeah, um, that it drives you to better work. You, you mm-hmm. perform better mm. on the back of the laughter, you know. Yeah, it's a back and forth thing between performer and audience, isn't it? It is. It's a chemistry. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And yeah, that must. And it's a big studio where they record it. It's a big audience, so it's it quite, was. It's quite a. It's very reassuring that you yeah. hadn't wasted your time down in Clare. You know, there'll be a nice time in Clare. Yeah. You know, and the 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 times then. Did I know you thought this is going to be great? Did you think it's going to be great with the watching audience, the the at home audience watching on TV? Did you have any idea it was going to be so? That was enough confirmation for me of what happened in the studio. Yeah, right. Oh no, nobody could say it was going to be so big. Mm -hmm. Or that that Dermot Morgan, when he died very sadly at the very end of the last episode. That it was almost of a state funeral. Mm. Every politician was there, and it was just extraordinary. It never, it never realised that anything could mm. generate so much interest and notice, mm. including that's that's not to play down Dermot. Mm. I mean, the tragedy of his death was enormous too. Mm. But of course, there were never going to be any more, any more. Uh, Father Ted's even no, no matter what. The two yeah. guys had decided absolutely. Yeah. I think they were right because people could nearly write their own at that stage. Mm-hmm. And when they have these conventions down in Aran Islands and things like that, everybody mm-hmm. run around dressed as Father Jack. Mm-hmm. You can see that they would have written their own. Did you know Dermot before Father Ted? Were you, uh, I did, yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He was a very um, ambitious person, mm-hmm. uh, very preoccupied all the time with the next gig, the next movement, mm-hmm. the next movement in his career. Mm-hmm. And uh, you always felt he was looking over your shoulder at something, at a better opportunity. Mm. And that was a kind of neurosis. It wasn't that he was a nasty person. I think it resulted from the fact that he was a rather late entrant into the business. He'd been teaching St. Michael's School and things like that. But Dermot, uh, he hadn't a breadth of experience that other people would have. He hadn't worked in legitimate theatre at all. Mm. And um, he was always just about getting his act together with loads of talent. 
and there'd be great bursts of talent and, you know, mm. bursts of public interest in what he did. But he was very tense and very ambitious. Mm. And the sad thing is that when he died, it was all about to happen. There were about three or four things lined up that he could have done that were would have given him international fame, you know. But mm. he, he was a late entrant to the business, by my standard, because mm. I was doing it from the age of 17. And uh, indeed, I remember doing cabarets. My father sending me out to entertain um, various societies and things, groups, mm. uh, play the fiddle and, and mm. sing, that kind of thing. Mm. But Dermot hadn't... Uh, that experience. I thought, I remember, because well, when I was down shooting in Clary, he, you know, you'd shoot all day and then you'd relax, but he was apparently gone writing after he shot all day. He was writing another script or something. So he was, yeah, wasn't writing another script. He'd be making to, notes. Making notes or something. Yeah, so, okay. yeah. He was just pushing himself a bit. Um, I don't know. Didn't seem was. to be relaxing anyway. And if he was very rude to you, if he was talking to you and he didn't give you his attention and he was insulting, He'd come back to you invariably in two or three days' time and say, look, I felt I was very rude to you the other day when we were talking. I was very preoccupied. I was thinking about something else. I just phoned London and that kind of thing, you know. Mm. And uh, even to the extent that he would sometimes make it up to you by giving you little pressies. Mm. He'd buy you a drink. And there was one time he was particularly rude to me and he gave me a, a rather good bottle of wine about a week later or more. I thought I was very rude to you that day. That's a little present, sister. So he was, he had a very sweet nature, really. Mm, mm. His outward appearance wasn't always that, but he, mm. he he took note of everything, you know. And how did you uh, find working over in London for those long stretches? I know you've already said that at times it was a bit lonely because there was an age gap between you and most of the rest of it. Well, there was, really, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean... I got along terribly well with the producer, Geoffrey Perkins. Yeah. But we would have been much nearer in age. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I didn't find it. I wasn't alienated from anybody on the set. I wasn't put sent to Coventry on the set. Mm. In fact, Paul McGlynn and I got along great. Right, yeah. And I describe in the book that I've just written, uh, we were writing a rather dangerous novel. I don't know what it would, it would have been on general sale anywhere. Really, and, yeah. Uh, two yeah, of us. yeah, it was just a joke between the two of us. Mm-hmm. And we'd begin a new page when we'd be offset and start the novel, the novel and developing the plot and all that kind yeah. of thing. It's a very funny game, actually. And um, we were very close on the on these different shoots and we laughed our hearts out and she was great company. Mm-hmm. She was very good for my spirits. No, when I talk about loneliness, I talk about being stuck in a, in, in, in a room on your own in London. Mm. And everybody who's worked there for any length of time has experienced the same thing. You just, you feel like a social pariah. You go out and you're looking at people fondling a lovely baby somewhere in the corner of a shop or something. Mm. And they look up at you fiercely and questioningly and you think, oh my God, they think I'm some kind of a pervert. You know what I mean? Right. Scuttle off and then you're looking at a loving couple Mm. caressing each other in the corner of a pub Mm. and thinking how sweet it looks. Mm. And uh, your man gives you a fierce stare if you fancy a bird, you yeah. know. And you, had, you don't. You had to grow the stubble for the part as well. So you I did. Go- I wasn't pretty. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I was far from pretty. Yeah. People yeah. don't realise I can have such an appalling appearance. Right. I'm not pretty now. But... Yeah. Oh, you look great. No, I'm all right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thanks a lot, Frank. Thank you. 
Great to have a listen back to that again and uh, interesting listening to Frank because he he kind of straddled the world of comedy and serious uh, theatre. Let's watch the rest of the episode. Yeah, a priest's funeral was a massive uh, thing as well because they, they weren't typically buried in the local graveyard. They were buried outside the chapel. All right. It was a big deal that you wouldn't... Uh, yeah, they weren't just buried with the rest of the plebs. Oh. Yeah. Uh. They were br- right beside the church. Straight to heaven, of Straight course. to heaven. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm. No delay. Yeah. And oh, by God, a priest's funeral, you wouldn't get a seat there. No. No. I've never been to a priest's funeral. Oh, yeah. I've never been. Yeah, or big deal. Bishops must be unbelievable. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. It's a beautiful scene, this. Ah, it is, yeah, yeah. It, that's from the dead. It's... it's mm. it, a really quality Irish film. One of the best Irish films, I would have to say. Oh, The Dead with James, dead based with, on James Joyce. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah uh, John Huston film. John Huston, yeah, mm. nice fella. And mm. uh, yeah, Colin Meaney's in his it. His last film. Yeah. It was his last film, I think. It was. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. And his daughter was in it, yeah. Lovely story and yeah. a great film. Uh, the Dead. I remember reading it. It's a short story, isn't it? It's a long short story. Mm. Yeah, it's like, yeah, a novella. Mm. Yeah, but it's a beautiful story and they do it there. They parody it there. You know, this episode is very, uh, like a lot of episodes are very, they bring in a, a new character and they kind of take away from, but this episode is very much Dougal and Father Ted and uh, just to celebrate, very uh, unbelievable that he died on the same date as far as Dermot Morgan. I mean, well, the chances. 365 yes. to 1, I would say. Oh, I'd say it's more than that. Oh, is it? Is it? Yeah, it probably is 365 to 1, yeah. Mm. But you know when IQ tests they trick you? <laughs> it's probably a million. Uh-uh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so but, that's the end of Grant Unto Him, Eternal Rest. And it's the end of the first season. Wow, yeah. The end of the first season. And we thought, you know, that was great. We didn't Might know there'd be another again. season. Yeah. yeah. There was no guarantees no. There's never a guarantee. Although I think generally, uh, if, if anything's halfway decent, they'll get a second series. Mm-hmm. So probably there was a good chance if it was all right, they'd yeah. get a second series, but not like that it'd become a massive hit. True. It's probably the second series is the make or break. Oh, it is. You've been listening to Talking Ted. Thank you, Ardla Handlin, for talking to us. And it was great to chat to Frank Kelly all those years ago. And what an amazing actor and a brilliant comedian and a gentleman. is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. 
If you want to support this podcast and get a full ad-free episode, sign up to Headstuff Plus. Plus.